The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. You're listening to the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show. Listener discretion is advised at all times. Once again, for downloading and listening to another episode of the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show, part of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. My name is Clive and I am rejoined by Ricky. Ricky, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you on once again. Yes, it's good to be back. Unfortunately, I had to miss last week, but yeah, I'm back now. (laughs) And you're better than ever. I'm not entirely sure about better than ever. Hungrier than ever, perhaps, but (laughs) certainly not better. Okay. <laughs> so well, I'll say though you you and Rance done a good job last week. It was a good episode. What about Rance's um, British accent attempts? The less said about those, the better. Oh well, quickly moving <laughs> on then. Sorry, Rance. Uh, this week, no, they were quite funny actually. They were. This week we're going down another sort of special episode route, and we're with the next instalment of Money in the Bank fast approaching. Ricky and I thought it would be a good idea to go down memory lane, look at some of the more more pivotal cash-ins that have happened as a result of the Money in the Bank briefcase holders. So you've obviously had ones where they've had massive pops on the night or immediate reaction has been quite big, a big deal. But the ones that we've decided to pick for tonight, we've got about five or six. We think that these cash-ins were the most impactful as far as WWE's like long-term creative is concerned, long-term character development, and just the, what it meant for that wrestler and their star power overall, like even their superstar power. Um, we were wondering about the order, but I think we'll just go straight in with... We'll do it in sequential order. Do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, that's fine. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's a bit easier to do it that way as well. Mm-hmm. So, where better to start than the first ever cash-in? New Year's Revolution, 2006, was it? I think think it was. Um, Was it 2005, was it? No. I think he won it in 2005, actually. Yeah, Edge, a.k.a. Adam Copeland, won the Money in the Bank in 2005 in the inaugural ladder match that they had at WrestleMania that year. The New Year's Revolution, I actually watched this pay-per-view in Barry's house, friend of the show, Barry. Uh, it was the first pay-per-view, it was in early in January, and Barry and I thought 2005 was like really a staggeringly good year, both creatively and wrestling match quality-wise. And then this happened, so Cena, he was in a chamber match, I believe. As usual, Super Cena wins, lol. But then this happens, Edge comes down, Vince McMahon says, we've not finished here tonight. And I remember, vividly remember the stunned silence in the room as we just watched, looked at each other, thought, this has changed everything. I think it's always going to be memorable for the obvious reason that it was the first ever cash-in and we hadn't seen anything like it before. At the time, it felt like a shock because Cena had been the poster boy 
and this was around the time where we were all getting smart to the business, as it were. A lot more websites were popping up, a lot more forums. Um, Cena had been like the poster boy for seven, seven or eight months, and see when you think about it, seven months or so as a babyface champ's pretty rare. So that was a shock in the, to the system in general. Edge had a top-notch 2005 fought off the Matt Hardy feud that he had. But somehow this started off for Edge having a much better 2006 than they had a 2005. Having Edge win the title might have been an experiment, but seeing Cena have a sort of genuine bad guy to fight against for so long was really welcome. And I think it helped Edge become the main eventer he, he was at that time. I'd say that he became a superstar later, but we'll touch on that later. So, what do you think about Edge's first cash-in, Ricky? Um, it, I almost sort of perhaps liken it in a sense that did it come too early, like Punk's first cash-in? Um, I'm not entirely sure, because I think Edge, Edge's feud with Cena... Um, was one of the best feuds of the last 10-15 years mm-hmm. they had I believe it was a was it a TLC match in Canada I can't remember the pay-per-view now where Cena was at the top of the ladder I think and gave Edge um, an FU through a table and then took the title down yeah it was uh, Unforgiven so they had sorry what was that? Unforgiven Yep, so they had several really, really good uh, matches, a, a number of good feuds. Um, so yeah, like you say, he was coming off like a, like a real personal bitter feud with Matt Hardy, where I think for the first time you saw a little a little glimpse of what he could be and what a, such a big heel he could be. Obviously... He held the the briefcase for a while, cashed in on Cena, and like you say, at the time when it happened, it was it really it was a game changer, just because this is nothing that this had ever happened before. But for me, like the the Edge Cena feud, and, and it ultimately did start. It was it was a it was um it was a it was a, it was a consequence of the cash in. We've seen a feud, like I say, is one of the best feuds I've seen in a long, long time. And like you said, for the first time, like someone was going up against Cena, like a genuine sort of bad guy. And like you say, Edge, I don't want to say held his own, but certainly it wasn't Super Cena squashing Edge time and time again. And I think that's a compliment in itself to what Edge was at the time and what management felt he could become. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, what, 05, 06, so that was like, that was your favourite era, the ruthless aggression. Yeah. At which point where Cena was, like you say, at, at his absolute point where he, quote unquote, was being shoved down our throats or whatever. So for them to allow Edge to do that, to then go on a feud where, like I say, obviously Cena, I think, beating Edge in his home country etc and Cena ultimately probably did come out and talk in a feud but let's say Edge more than held his own and let's say I think for me at that time 2005-2006 where it was just really all about John Cena where they allowed Edge to cash in to win it to win it first to then cash in on him and hold his own and book him almost 50-50 almost probably mm-hmm. lean more so to Cena was let's say a real testament 
to what Vince and everyone thought of Edge and what he ultimately was about to become. I mean, see if it was just an experiment. I've heard on Bruce Pritchard's show that he was really pushing for Edge to go up to the main event, and if it was like 2005, was Edge was like the sort of tippy top of the mid card scene, and then he became a main eventer, and with Edge losing the title at the Royal Rumble like a few weeks later, mm-hmm. it was quite disappointing because I thought, oh, here we go again. It's just the same old, same old. But if Vince and Co didn't see the, the potential in Edge, then thankfully Mick Foley did because that sort of led on. I know Edge quickly lost the title, but it quickly led on to Foley and Edge having one of the more classic weapons-based matches at WrestleMania. The punishment that he put his body through, and it's not just a spot fest that match, there's a lot going on in it. To get the seal of approval in a hardcore match by the king of hardcore uh, is quite a big deal. Even just the simple things like spearing himself and Foley through the ring into the flaming table, that was one of those pivotal moments you thought, this guy is willing to do absolutely anything to make sure he steals the show. And there was a lot of back and forth, you had stuff going on with RVD and Cena over the course of that year and it did eventually for the sort of time being end up with Cena being the champ but I just think that it was a successful experiment and we would see later on that it was well worth it because because of the start of that 2006, well before that 2005 when Edge became the superheel that he was he was, was and still is in my top five of all-time wrestlers and it's because of that these, this cash-in where it all started. And I just remember, as I was talking about the st- sort of stunned silence in the room when we were watching it, Vince's face, was that character or was that real when he was saying, are you sure you want to do this? And I was just like, oh yes, I most certainly am. And it's just mm-hmm. paid off dividends. I think, just to sort of touch on the it was an experiment. Like, just about anything when it comes to business or not even wrestling, just business in general, when you want to maybe do something different or try something new, ultimately it is going to be an experiment. And obviously the word experiment suggests it's not going to last forever. So it's just to, you just want to get a small taste or preview potential of what could become if you do pull the trigger. And the thing with Edge, like you say, is what was that? He held it for what? A matter of weeks? Yes, probably the first, maybe the first so, Sunday in January till maybe the last then, Sunday or something like that. So, like I said, and, and, and that's the thing where, like, when you, you've saw over history and you continue to see it, like, you need to try something first just 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 to try it out to see how it's received and then take it from there and like you said i i'm i am i am agree with you it was almost as if we're going to cash in and yes you can beat cena but cena's going to buy a title back and this will set off a, a like a feud of that decade really but with the ultimate goal of potentially going back to edge depending on how well he's received or what kind of reaction etc gets or how he handles the situation and he, like on the sense some people might say three four weeks isn't enough time but yeah I mean it might not be 
but it proved to be more than enough sample size for Vince, etc., to pull the trigger in future for him. Uh-huh. There have been instances before and after the, that where experiments have worked in people's favour, like Kevin Owens. Not everyone's cup of tea, I understand that, but when he won the Universal title, we've spoken at length about how much that meant to us, and I think for the over the over the course of it, that was quite successful. Although he wasn't the sort of mean bastard that we loved at the start, he did have quite a fun comedy duo with Jericho, and when they go and, when it mattered most, he would turn into that mean bastard again. So, and you never know, we might see this return at some point with Owens and the Money in the Bank coming up in a couple of Sundays' time. So there's been plenty of times where experiments have paid off, and I think with this one. As I said, I've repeated myself, I won't anymore. If this was an experiment, then it definitely paid off because it would lead up to our next pick of tonight, which is again Mr. Adam Copeland. And you want to take us off in this one? Yeah, and just sort of like even before we get to him cashing in for a second time, like he says, he had the stuff with Mick Foley at WrestleMania. Everyone remembers the chair spot, but he, like he says, to go from Cena to then having Mick Foley in a feud just again shows you just what management thought of him. Uh-huh. So ultimately um, leading into money in the, sorry, money right, cashing in on Taker, which was what, <clears throat> was it late 2000? Because I know it was on a, it was on, um, a SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, I don't know if it was Batista or was it Mark Henry? Was it a cage match? I think it was. Right. And did some digging on this. I can't remember exactly when, but Ken Kennedy was the money in the bank holder. Right, yep, so... This is kind of gotten right. So we will need to talk about this because... Right, this was actually one of my questions in the quiz later on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Mr Kennedy and suffered an, um, a legitimate injury. So again, I don't know if it, I can't remember what it was. It might have been his shoulder or his arm. Was it his tricep or something? I can't remember. Anyway, but so what, it was a legitimate injury. Um, and Edge ultimately went on and, and to win the Money in the Bank. Um, obviously, the first person I believe to win it twice. So later on, he, the Undertaker was defending the title against Batista on a SmackDown steel cage match or. Hell in a cell. It was some, I'm pretty sure it was a steel cage. I think it was. Right. Then for it was Mark Henry, wasn't it? That attacked take so. a post match. Uh-huh. I'm sure it was again. And Edge came down. Donnie's cashed in, hit a couple of spears. Um, the same week, I believe. I think it was like one. He did the. He took the money in the bank from Kennedy and then cashed in that Friday night in SmackDown. Oh, so it was like a. Was a pay per view on a Sunday. Seven, eight, eight, what was it in the Raw? Well, that, it, was, it, was was certainly, it was certainly within a space of a week or so anyway. Uh-huh. Um, so obviously, so once Mark Henry attacked Undertaker, Edge comes down, cashes in, uh, wins the title once again. Uh, he started, he had then had a, a feud with Batista. Again, they either had some sort of, it was a steel match, steel cage or a hell in a cell. I think it was a steel cage at... Judgment Day or One Night Stand? I think it was One Night Stand, wasn't it? I can't tell you off the top of my head. So, 
I'm sure it was one night stand. I'm sure it was because I'm sure they had three Judgment Day one night stand, and it was either Vengeance or Armageddon. I think it was Vengeance. <clears throat> um, so yeah, so obviously, and then continued. A f- sorry, not continued. Uh, started, had a feud with Kane before he, where it was Edge actually. The Tory's pectoral muscle. For really? Like sorry. For reallys. Yeah. Yep. So he had to relinquish the title. Which I think he was gone for about six, six, seven months. Roughly, roughly, aye. And then he comes back um a Survivor Series, interferes in the Hell in a Cell between Batista and Undertaker, and he was dressed up as what? A cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Yep, um, and that's so he also. And I believe like a week, a week, maybe two weeks later, him and Vicky sort of became quote unquote official, or they became became public. Um, he then went on and had a a match for the title with, with Batista, which I believe the Undertaker interfered in that match as well. Mm-hmm. So, and it all, then after that, we got Chavo Guerrero coming into the storyline as well. Uh, we also got Kurt Hawkins, um, Zack Ryder, and who was the, who was the other one? Can you remember his name? Um, it was Bam something. Oh, uh, for the sounds of it, it wasn't memorable enough. Bam Healy? Bam Neely? Oh, uh, that rings a bell. I thought it was yes. just... I thought La Familia was just the Edgeheads... Guerrero, the two Guerreros, and Edge. So I'm sure, I'm sure it was this. This, I'm sure there was another one. Well, I'm Bam. sure there was a six in there as well. Bam, if you're listening, we're sorry. Uh. <laughs> it's not the first time that a Bam has come into mistaken identity with Hogan's tweets during the week. I don't know if you saw them. Oh, yeah, was it right? He got him confused with Ryan Dunn. <laughs> oh fuck, I did. <laughs> Tweeted out a photo with him alongside Bam saying, I wish I could hang out with you again. Someone needs to take his phone off him. <laughs> so, yeah, right, with Depp went on, went, went off, went right off on a tangent here. So, and then obviously him and Vicky's relationship started getting a bit more graphic and a bit more stranger. Not, and they got married, didn't they? Or they got engaged. Aye. Uh-huh. So, I mean. <sighs> We didn't get quite to the levels where him and uh, the levels of him and Lita having like a live sex celebration on TV, but it wasn't exactly the prettiest thing to look at. <laughs> no, there were lots of tongues wagging about the place. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he then also went on to have, which, I, in my opinion, not necessarily this with these matches or anything, but the feud. He went on to have another feud with Undertaker, which, in my personal opinion, I think that's his greatest feuds, his greatest matches were with the Undertaker. As much as I loved, I loved the John Cena ones, especially that TLC one we're talking about, his stuff I thought with Taker was was absolutely fantastic. Because once again, like the Undertaker comes across as, as portrayed as this evil dead man, sort of intimidating force, but Edge never really backed down. He was also evil and sadistic in his own, sadistic in his own sort of way as well. Mm-hmm. So obviously, 
one night stand Edge went which Undertaker was forced to quote unquote leave the company I'm not sure if you remember that Edge was forced to no um, yes. the Undertaker if Edge won the if Edge yeah. won the TLC match which was excellent by the way mm-hmm. it meant Undertaker had to leave and I the, think that was when the wedding happened and Undertaker came down jeez don't talk about stuff like that was it in that TLC match going back quite a long and I might be getting confused with one other one but didn't Edge throw Taker from the ladder over the ropes and the tables the outside he most certainly bloody well did <laughs> that's that's unbelievable to think Taker was taking spots of that as well nobody um, talks about that as much as the other more famous table bumps that there have been Undertaker's that, like 6'10 because from if memory's correct like he didn't go like flat through all the tables. I think he went through by one and then clipped sort of like the edge of one. Um, no pun intended. Hey. But yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you there. That that table bump isn't talked about as much as other ones, and, and it should be because it was it was quite brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, He's six ten, late forties yep. at the time, and he gets flung from out of the la- a top of a ladder out through those tables. That's. Mm-hmm. That's an insane bump to take for a man of that age and size. Yep. And then, obviously, not too long after that, he lost the title to CM Punk as well, when Punk cashed in on him, which took place on Raw, like, the week or two after the lottery, draft lottery took place, where Edge, being the battered heel that he is, or was, came out and started gloating how SmackDown have got both champions, um, and I think Batista either. I think Batista came out to the ring because they they had a match at Night of Champions where Batista sort of where Edge got help from La Familia. So Batista probably felt he got screwed. He was drafted over to Raw, so he he came down and sort of like attacked Edge, hit him with um, a Batista bomb, and that's when CM Punk came running down and cashed in. He hit him with a, a GTS <clears throat> and cashed in. So. Now the t- that title is now on Raw, with Edge having to go back to SmackDown. Not not go back, but obviously he still was on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. He, I think he, I think he, he also, f- I do had a match with Triple H as well. Um, when he went back over to SmackDown in July, and then ultimately he, then had a match with the Undertaker. Did he not with a Hell in a Cell at SummerSlam? Well, that's when the whole thing with Triple H was when Triple H saw he showed a video of Edge cheating on Guerrero with the wedding planner. Yep, yep. That wedding planner was Alicia Fox. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. She's been in the company for like 10, 10 plus years. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah, so... <laughs> when, when, you, when, you, when you say it back, it just sounds ridiculous, but... I know, it does. So, obviously... Then at the match at SummerSlam, uh, Taker choked Sam Edge from a ladder through the ring where it went up in flames or like smoke appeared or whatever it was, and that was kind of like Edge written off TV for a few months. He came back, which is prob. It's one of my two top two Edge returns. I don't know. It probably could be number one when he comes back at Survivor Series later on that year um, where uh, somebody attacked Jeff Hardy backstage which obviously was Edge 
Vicky Guerrero introduces and the great thing about it was Vicky comes out and she was like she was saying I, pr- I promise it's going to be a triple threat crowd pops and it's going to be Jeff Hardy that's and right she's like, he's here he's here doesn't ever name, say his name here he is and then Edge's music hit comes out with this beard like a caveman type beard and <laughs> eyes popping out of his head and ultimately goes on to win, wins the match but Jeff Hardy comes out and tries to prevent him winning it um but Edge Edge prevails. And let's say that that um that return from Edge is arguably my most favourite one. Uh huh. It was good. Like that was around that time where he was just the main of it. Like even if he didn't have a title round his waist, he it was, was all about him. it was all about Edge. He was mm-hmm. I know he turned up in Raw, lost the title there against Punk, but it was all about SmackDown. And I think even though you touched on it earlier, although there was quite a lengthy injury for him and he had stuff going on with Batista, it all started with his cash-in versus The Undertaker. And that, with the long story told with him cashing in and then had to go away for injury, reappearing at Hell in a Cell, it began like one of my easily one of my greatest feuds. The timing was perfect. Not only was Edge given... He was given the trust by WWE management to take the briefcase off Kennedy, but he was like he was given that coveted mania match with Undertaker, and there's a that's a very short list when you consider the amount of wrestlers, like big time wrestlers who've been in that company. Edge was one of those ones to have a title match with Taker of all people. Uh, showed the trust that they had in him, and I think he and Taker carried the blue brand on their shoulders throughout most of 2008, especially the sort of spring summer time. I think that feud on its own was over and above the Cena cash-in. You had good stuff going on with Triple H and Jeff, um, but just it was all top-notch stuff at that time. The opportunist, ultimate opportunist gimmick was in full effect, and whenever I think back to SmackDown history, I either think about the SmackDown 6 era, 2002-03, which Edge was in, by the way, and I also think about Edge when he was part of La Familia, and these multi-month-long feuds with The Undertaker. Just cement, like I said earlier, talking about his cash-in versus Cena, that that was his his being cemented as a main eventer. This cash-in, it's a couple of stumbling blocks with injury, but this cash-in for me like cemented him as an absolute, the rated R superstar. He says it himself. It's just, it shouldn't go unnoticed, definitely. No, and like you say, you nailed it when you, when you just said the rated R superstar like that. I agree. The Cena cash in and what sort of took place after that, it was like we say, it was just it was just the beginning. But the taker lead up to cashing in on taker and everything that took place after that was just the work of an absolute legend and being booked like the superstar that he is. And the great thing about the Cena, eh, sorry, not the Cena, the Undertaker feud was. It, it never felt like you were like fed up with it no and there were a couple it, of months in between sometimes and that's, that was the beauty of it that we didn't get just like four, five, six months or whatever in a row where we were ultimately fatigued from it it was like we'd get it we'd get a couple we'd maybe get one match or two matches and then one of them was gone and then it would happen again and it was like that was it was, it was excellent excellent Like so it was never like I say it's never a case of been drained or fatigued by watching these two in a match in a feud. So, and that, that's 
to me that's that's high praise and it's one of the great things about that feud mm-hmm. well we'll move on a wee bit there because I was getting quite confused with a lot of the dates and stuff but you had mentioned CM Punk's cash in it might not have opened the doors at the time but I know you've got quite a lot to say about this one of your favourite wrestlers so go for it so I'm not going to go I'm not going to talk about when he cashed in and then what sort of proceeded to happen in the months etc after that I'm just going to give sort of like um, almost like a summary of events if you don't mind if that's alright with you uh, yeah sorry I didn't realise you were wanting me to agree yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, so he's cashed in twice like we say the first one was uh, Edge this isn't the one we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the Jeff Hardy one Jeff Hardy at the time was arguably the biggest babyface in the company outside of like Cena but Jeff Hardy was getting universal cheers from everybody but Cena was the guy but Jeff Hardy was arguably the number one babyface if that makes sense mm-hmm he was white hot over. Everybody loved him. And Punk cashed in on him. Straight away, universally loved. <laughs> so, like... I hated him. I fucking despised him. You, I don't think you ever took to him anyway. <laughs> no, not really. So, like, even in the... It led to the famous it never directly led but in a way it directly and indirectly led to the memories of punk that everyone remembers i.e. the pipe bomb the summer of punk the new nexus um, and then obviously 434 days the, the cash in for me the first one almost fell again when you look back on it was almost like the, what we'd done with Edge Yes, I, I, I know we, where you're we'll, coming from. We'll have a little taste of this, we'll have a preview. Is he capable of it? What What's he going to do, etc. <clears throat> Second one, to have him, and it's again, it's similar again to Edge, Edge cashed in on Cena, to have him cash in, and what I say is my mind, probably the number one babyface in the company at the time, was, was damning in itself in the sense that, wow, like they are legitimately going ahead with this guy, like they're going to start pushing him. I like what he he had a number of great sort of gimmicks as well pre mm-hmm. and post this cash in remember the straight edge society he had uh-huh. with gallows and I can't remember the female's name like that was excellent as well before they decided not enough's enough with that he was obviously in charge it was a leader of a new nexus as well so to me it was a case of first one's a little bit of a preview or a, sort of a taste and the second one they just started sort of going ahead, it started picking up a bit more steam a couple of roadblocks in the way but for me, the moment they went with the second cash in, it was a case of this guy, might, maybe he might not become the face of the company but we're certainly going to start booking him and pushing him almost like that um, whether people want to agree with this statement or not um, and whether this was a direct effect of the cash in, which I think it probably is because like I say he cashed in and they started to push him more and more and more a lot of the guys who are in the WWE right now wouldn't be in it if it wasn't for Punk and what Punk done. From basically setting cash in up until, what was it, was it 2013, wasn't it, when he left? Uh-huh. 
So for those sort of like four four years or so, for what he'd done, specifically done in the last sort of two and a half years, I truly believe a lot of the guys that you see, a lot of our favourites, would not be in the WWE right now. True, I would agree with you. That old saying that, you know, you've got to kick the door off its hinges or whatever, he he blew that fucker wide open. <laughs> Literally attached some C4 to it and blew it open. What he what he done because ultimately when you look at him, he looks like your average person walking down the street because he's not your prototypical WWE wrestler. What you know, or what we're led to believe that Vince likes. Well, he's got to be six foot five. He's got to be two hundred and eighty pounds of nothing but sheer muscle, etc., etc. But he's like the polar opposite. So, like I said, for me, talent guys like Ambrose, Seth, KO, especially a lot of those guys would not be in Finn Balor, etc. Could may not be may not be in the WWE because at the time I think Punk opened their eyes to no no what you are accustomed to is not actually wrestling. Like I'm introducing you and opening your eyes to a whole new breed and a whole new brand of wrestling. Uh-huh. I think I'm, I look at it from a slightly different angle. First of all, I do agree with that CM Punk blew off the doors, the hinges to the door of all your indie darlings coming in. But I think both cash-ins, I'm not sure exactly what happened. Well, I know that he, he lost the title the, when he had the first cash-in. He was beaten up backstage before he could be in a scramble match, if memory serves correctly. Mm-hmm. And he lost his second title that he won from a cash-in because apparently The Undertaker didn't take too kindly to him not wearing a suit going about the airports and stuff like that so as a punishment Undertaker took the title off him so I think it's not so much the cash-ins it's the punishments that were happening after it and I think that sort of set gave a mindset to Punk he's like no fuck this I'm taking matters into my own hands and he made the microphone his main weapon of choice Straight Edge Society, New Nexus, all that stuff, <clears throat> until it was the time where he'd done enough mic work to deliver a message. He was the voice of the voiceless, and that's not just a daft cliche, that meant something, because it gave so many people on the internet a voice. They were sick of seeing, as you say, the £280 meatheads that are all vascular and all that shit. Just the sort of same old, same old wrestlers that we see winning the titles, and it was time for the, the new age to come in. Technically, TM Punk is a new age outlaw when you think about it. <laughs> um, so I think it's the it was he was standing up for himself. He was standing up for his ideals, and that all worked to his favour eventually. And I know it wasn't a direct cash in, but this led to the whole thing with Cena at the money. And- funnily enough, at the Money in the Bank pay per view 2011. <laughs> And, and that's kind of ironic in a sense. Almost, uh, he it all kicked off with Money in the Bank briefcase, and it all sort of not so much culminated, but it just sort of solidified him as the guy at a Money, Money in the Bank event. Mm-hmm. The build up to that to that match was was unbelievable. That's where the, the famous or infamous pipe bomb took place as well. The summer of punk, etc. The only, the only thing, the negative thing 
I would have to say about all this. And it's not so much, it's not a negative on Punk, but he fucking jobbed to Triple H. Mm. A job may not be the right word, that's a bit, uh, maybe a bit too much, because let's be honest, Triple H is still one of the greats. But he should never, Triple H should never have went over. That that should, if you truly believed in Punk, he was, he was so over. See, so, a, so over. That's it again, where we don't know if he was punished, but the title was taken off him when he was at a peak of his momentum. It, well, it was, it was, his peak at that point, how over he was, was ridiculous. And the fact that he then got over again after that, <laughs> like, Resol- not, not so much got over again, but... Resolve, he has resolve. It is a testament of just how great he really is. Because for me, he should not have, like I said, he should not have lost to Triple H. Kevin Nash getting involved, didn't like it, although we got some unbelievable promos from CM Punk on Nash and Triple H in the build-up to those matches. Um, But no, Triple H, Punk should have went over. Should have went over, and... So, and I suppose a cynic in me might look back and say maybe they never ever saw him as the guy. If maybe if they did, they would have had him going over Triple H there. Well, if they didn't, they would have. They wouldn't have given him a four hundred and thirty-four reign day reign. That's that's what I'm saying. Like it just shows you just how great he was. That he done that post, quote unquote, being buried. If what if that's what people want to call it. Uh-huh. And although, I wouldn't go that far. Although he's immensely popular. He was a damn good heel, to the point where I just I couldn't even. It was for me at the time. Uh, I don't want to watch this. I don't like him that much, but he is such a good heel. And the reason he's such a good heel is because what he was saying had so he believed was true, and there was truth to it. Mm-hmm. Especially with Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy mm-hmm. had problems with drugs. Punk brought them up. CM Punk brought up the stuff about with The Rock when they turned on The Rock and stuff like that as well it, what he said had so many kernels of truth to it that you can't, you can't ignore that regardless he if also, you're a heel or not he also had a, a real real good feud and it sort of felt really personal with Chris Jericho as well Yes. Um, correct me if I'm wrong didn't Chris Jericho talk about his biological father being like an alcoholic or a or, Abusive or something, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm I, almost certain it was a, it was along those lines anyway. That was a good feud, but I preferred the match that they had a year later at Payback 2013. Mm-hmm. If I'm being honest, just the, the match on its own that they had. But I think that did that not take place in Chicago? It did. He'd been because I remember just there's a shot when it pans away from the ring and Jericho just looking at the crowd. And all you can hear is just CM Punk, CM Punk, and then his music hits, and the place just erupts, and it's like fine at Chicago, but it's also a testament to how over he was. And going back, going back to when you were saying that he was a damn good heel. Nowadays, where heels are getting cheered, like we almost like that in a sense. But he, no, I'm not saying that the characters or the wrestlers like it, but as a heel. He took it serious to the point that if people cheered him, he went out his way and done things and specifically said things to make people start booing him and not cheering him. 
and again, that's a testament to just how great and diverse his character and his ability is. Uh-huh. He literally turned those cheers into booze just by speaking his mind, and it was like maybe his his stubbornness has got him into trouble, and that's what's preventing him from coming back or whatever. WWE have not exactly have not exactly um, been very nice to him either. Um, <laughs> but his maybe not now right now but I think a lot of people do appreciate it but seeing about 10-15 years I think you're going to look back on it and say that was a damn important time for the business and it was in my mind I'm not saying purely and solely because of punk but he was literally the driving force behind it Aye, I would say you know I've had my issues with getting fully on board with punk but that all cha- that did all change when I watched the Best in the World documentary and I can see him in a new light I would say he is one of the pioneers for the kind of wrestling that we favour today, and which is at the forefront of WWE for the most part. Mm-hmm. Speaking of pioneers of the kind of wrestling that we enjoy today, can you remember what happened that same night that CM Punk beat John Cena in Chicago? What, um, what year was that again? 2011. Now this isn't the exact cash in that we were wanting to talk about, right? But it was Daniel Bryan winning the briefcase. Oh, that's right. And he had a fun time as a champ in eleven and twelve. He won it. He won it for SmackDown, didn't he? Uh huh. Because he came down when either Big Show or Mark Henry was knocked out. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so it was fun. It wasn't um, amazing. It was still good fun. But the cash in that we're actually wanting to specifically mention is the one where Orton won it when he beat Daniel Bryan when, he, when Bryan had beat Cena clean at SummerSlam 13 mm-hmm. and how even though Bryan didn't win that cash in it all changed like wrestling the landscape changed in a massive massive way yep so it was me specifically that wanted to do this because we were actually going to go a different way with the cash ins um, but I wanted to put this one in so, people might sit and think and say, why on earth have we put Randy Orton cash-in? But you've just alluded to it. The Randy Orton cash-in played either... Whether it was planned, I very much doubt it, but it played a massive, massive part in the next sort of seven, eight, nine months of Daniel Bryan's wrestling career story and which, what it meant for the business in general. Which is still going on today when you think about it. Yep. So, as, like, as much as wanting Lord, what CM Punk helped do as well, Daniel Bryan also played his part in that. So, obviously, the cash in we're talking about was SummerSlam. It was Daniel Bryan versus John Cena. Triple H was the special guest referee. Daniel Bryan wins. Win, win clean. With a beautiful running knee, might I add. Yep. So. And then Triple H raised his hand, and oh sorry, but celebrations etc. And again, almost as if it was like, let's just see what kind of reception he gets. And which is when you, if that's the case, and it's crazy because he was getting unbelievable pops. And I'm going to mention it again because I like it. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to say? You sort of had a, a small hiatus from wrestling and. 
you came back into wrestling because I told you about Daniel Bryan and the pops he was getting. Mm-hmm. So that if you just tell someone that story, that would show what wrestling you're talking about must be like ridiculously popular. If you've got one of your friends to watch wrestling again, just based on that's that's couple of sentences I say to you. So so Rand, so Triple H hits him with a pedigree. Randy Orton comes down, hands it, cashes in, Triple H raises his hand, and that's ultimately where Randy Orton aligns himself with the, um, the authority. It all obviously culminated in WrestleMania with the Triple Threat match. But in between it, you still had Daniel Bryan going sort of toe-to-toe with the authority and, and trying to bring the authority down, but was unable to in those times. He then had a feud with Bray Wyatt mm-hmm. and I don't know if it was so I'm going to paraphrase here Bray cut a promo and says to Daniel Bryan along the lines if you align yourself with me I'll help you bring down the machine when when you think about it in hindsight it if was, you aligned yourself with Bray Wyatt then your career would have been over <laughs> <laughs> well he did sort of align himself with Bray but and I'm, again, just slight tangent here, but when Bray said that, everybody lost their mind because everybody thought, oh my goodness, we're going to get the Wyatts against Authority, or we're going to specifically get potentially Triple H and Bray Wyatt, because Bray Wyatt at this point was was as over as he was ever was. Like, uh, he was universally loved. So when that happened, it was all, like, even I was like, oh my God, I, I, I was like, I want this, I want that, I want to see this so badly. But they two had like a real great match at the Royal Rumble, I think it was. Uh, an excellent match, yeah. A really good match, and it, there was a, a real sort of sick bump that Brian took outside into the into the barriers. I can't remember. I can't now. Can't remember what exactly happened, but it was. I remember watching. I was like, oh, like that looked real bad. And then I think it was like a week, a couple of weeks later, or whatever, we had the the steel cage match. Mm-hmm. And then Daniel Bryan sort of slightly started resisting. Obviously, I remember, and he had the ultimate attack brain broke away from uh, the Wyatt family. But the best thing about that segment was Bray comes in, rushes at Brian. Brian moves, starts unloading punches and kicks, etc. Bray falls out of his knees, and Brian starts doing the yes kicks. Commentators never uttered a single word. It won't. It went silent, and all you could hear was the yes chance, and you felt it coming through the TV. That's how powerful it was. So, let's say the commentators went quiet for two minutes or so, and all you would hear was the, the, the noise of the kicks and the crowd, and then he's the, at the top of the cage doing the yes chant, and everyone's joined in, which at that point, all roads ultimately led to WrestleMania. Obviously, Batista won the title. Sorry win the Royal Rumble later on that night just going back to the Royal Rumble so we all eyes it was meant to all, all along we were led to believe it was going to be Randy Orton Batista until ultimately Daniel I would say Daniel Bryan and the crowd but I've got but a lot of people want to say oh well the, the fans made the WWE change well, well I don't think it was all the fans Daniel Bryan played a part as well how over he managed to get and how great he is <clears throat> and they ultimately changed that main event but before the main event we were treated to a, an absolute classic between Daniel Bryan and Triple H at WrestleMania as well. A phenomenal, a fucking. I've got so much love for that match, you do not Un- understand. 
unbelievable. What a start to the show. <laughs> I know. Unbelievable. Is that, is that not much better, starting a WrestleMania, mm-hmm. than the clusterfuck ladder matches? That's it. Is that another conversation for another day? Perhaps. But it's like... Because you, you, they normally start off with like a, a sort of like a a real fast-paced match sort of thing, just to sort of get the crowd going. Uh-huh. And... But this, this match delivered yeah. on so many levels. And what it just done, it amped the crowd up that bit even more. And it was like, right, Daniel Bryan's in the main event now. Daniel Bryan's in the main event. Like, it might actually happen. Could you imagine if Triple H beat him? And Lesnar beat uh, Taker? Yep, and that's the other thing. Like, Lesnar beat Taker. Did that went that went on... Third last or Third last. So the crowd... Like, I remember watching it, like, that got to me, like, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Couldn't believe it. Crowd was silent, dead. People were genuinely upset. And, again, it's a testament also to Batista and Orton. Testament to those three that they came out and put on a pretty good match as well. Oh, it was really good. Um, and then somehow you got the emotion from being so heartbroken to absolute off the scale elation in the matter of half an hour or so mm-hmm. with Daniel Bryan winning the title so whether like I say just whether or not it was planned from the autumn cash in all the way up to Wrestlemania like I said we're led to believe it wasn't right but let's just say we don't know anything about the dirt seats etc and you just sit and explain the, sort of this storyline to a non a non-wrestling fan and just sort of explain what happened in emotion etc they they would tell you themselves that like that was actually very well creatively done uh-huh. and I think I think us knowing too much at times is sort of poisoned our mind and, and we can't think properly yes because ultimately yes that might have been a plan all along but quote unquote sources tell us otherwise and we, we believe these sources um, but that could have been a storyline all along and it, and like I say, when you just when you, when you just break it down, like we broke it down, and you don't think, oh no, it was just they were forced into doing it. If you just break it down the way we broke it down, it is unbelievable storytelling, and it just takes you on a, an emotional roller coaster. Well, with that sort of whole yes movement storyline, a wee cheap plug for a listener of the show, Sir Sam, who's on the Lords of Pain columns main page. He's doing a series at the moment. Yes, we lived. He's basically doing a column. Week by week, blow by blow account of the Yes Movement, basically from SummerSlam 2013 all the way up to WrestleMania. He's still in the early stages, but I implore you guys to go over and check it out and follow it. If you've missed it, like myself, it's really good reading it back. He's got some gifts in there as well. Um, I don't. Do you remember there was a, ma- a gauntlet match between Daniel Bryan and The Shield on a Raw one week? And it looked fucking unbelievable. Vaguely. Like that looked like a, a, a to- considering how popular gauntlet matches are at the moment, that's a topper. Just go and look, and, check that out again. And obviously, now that you've you've spoke about the Shield, Daniel later on also he, he was he had he had like feuds with the Shield as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the next night on Raw after WrestleMania, like the Shield turned well, the Shield already were turning face, but it was like fully fledged. This is it. We're now full on faces when. When he came down and attacked um, Orton, Batista, and Triple H, 
But then, fast forward, Daniel Bryan gets injured. Daniel Bryan comes back and wins. Um, oh, he, came, he came back actually, didn't he? He came back before. He came back at the Royal Rumble, the year Roman won it. So he was back for that. Crowd mm-hmm. still giving him as much love as he ever did. Gets eliminated and it just it goes. It was they just went flat. Uh-huh. And, I, and as a testament again the guy had the guy the guy was injured and was missing for so long and people still loved him or were still pining for him comes back and he won the IC title didn't he at Wrestlemania in the ladder match uh-huh. relinquishes that as well <sighs> comes again I believe doesn't he and he had that great great match with Roman um, what was the pay-per-view in between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania? I can't remember what it is now. Yeah, he had the match at Fastlane with Roman before mm-hmm. the, before he won the IC title. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's it. So that, like, in... It, it's tragic that he missed out so, such a long, for such long parts of his career. Because it's almost just like, what could have been? But what's a, was such a testament to him and how over he was and still is, people were still doing a yes chance even when he wasn't there and then when he finally does come back whether it's in a wrestling role or just as a character on TV he still is over as he's ever been I think in a really warped way we'll never know now because he has been injured for so many times on so many different occasions but him being absent for so long it feels as if we were robbed of greatness on a few mm-hmm. occasions. So I think he's got that to thank for him still being so popular. But I also think he's got Punk to thank as well, because as you said earlier, Punk blew the hinges off the door for wrestlers like Daniel Bryan to get to where they were. And because of Daniel Bryan, it felt as if he was being left out in the cold by WWE management mm-hmm. with how Punk had given the voiceless a voice they, that those people now made their voices loud and clear saying no we will not stand for this we will not see another person who completely deserves the main event spot be robbed of that opportunity so I should thank Punk for that I, th- I would say, don't know if he would but I'm sure he would at some point they, they sort of go hand in hand with each other I would say Punk is more Microphone Punk, I'm not taking away from Punk's wrestling ability at all, but Punk's microphone ability is what he's more well known for. And Daniel Bryan's wrestling capabilities, I mean, see something, at the greatest hit stuff, the sort of running kicks into the turnbuckle and the yes kicks, I can take them or leave them, but see when he's tying up his, his opponents in knots and like embarrassing them, kind of a wee bit like Jack Gallagher used to do. Like that, that's the kind of Daniel Bryan I love. And seeing someone robbed either by management or through injury it's kept him at the forefront of everyone's sort of wish list for greatness so it's good it's just top notch that you're still there and I would say that long story short the cash in that he had against either Big Show or Mark Henry in the long run made him just one of the most unbelievable superstars we've seen Mm. And and now speaking of Punk, Kim and Punk, I think it was over the limit. Aye, they had a real good match as well. I, re- um, I remember that. 
So, and like you say, it's not been all. Like you say um, Sheamus beats beats him at WrestleMania in like what, like seven or eight seconds or something as well. So there's there's been times where it's not not been good for him. Um, but like I say, it's just it's just a massive. It's a huge testament to just how great and how over he was because a lot of people at the time might have been feeling it. This might not last very long. It's just um, it's just it's just a yes chant. It's over. He's not actually over himself, or etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but it's now what four years later, or whatever, and we're still talking about it and still doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, round about that time when Daniel Bryan was getting into the swing of things, as was Punk, we had the Shield come in, who made a very quick name for themselves as a unit, and then sort of branched off with Seth between them. And the next person we want to talk about is Seth Rollins cash in. At Money in the Bank 2014, this was fresh off him betraying the Shield. Um, Roman Reigns didn't seem to care about it apparently, <laughs> but <laughs> Dean Ambrose was fucking raging, and this started off. Edge and Edge's Undertaker is up there for me, but Dean and Seth, this is sort of Austin Rock levels of intensity and chemistry in the ring. That was just words can't really describe how awesome this they've had rivalries off and on for the last few years but the initial like few months that they had that was some hot stuff and I think with Seth winning at Wrestlemania mm-hmm. that was the beginning of another new era where we saw the Shield become the prominent guys in WWE would you agree? Most definitely most definitely and like you say Seth and Dean is arguably my favourite feud of the last five years as well. Five to ten years. Not even their feud, just their, their story apart and together. There, there was, so there was two. Like they, they had the feud immediately after breaking up the Shield and then they had the feud when Seth was the champ as well. Uh-huh. Um, Which they had a ladder match at Money in the Bank. Again, it keeps coming back to Money in the Bank. <laughs> it really does. But not... Um, Seth's cash-in just sort of like breaking it down Seth's cash-in is arguably the greatest cash-in ever if, if it's not universally everyone's number one it's going to be every, it's going to be in everyone's top two I think right do you disagree with that? people say it a lot and I remember watching thinking wasn't live, it was the day after, and I wasn't too enamoured with the Roman Reigns comeback against Brock Lesnar, so see when Seth Rollins' music hit, I fucking could not, I was like, oh my god, this is it, This is it. they're actually doing this right now, right here and now, and even if it was last minute, I remember the choreography of the last five minutes being like perfect, 100% spot on, so I'm not sure how, how in advance it was planned, but I just think so fondly back to Edge's Edge's first ever cash in and how shocking that was but when you combine, I mean you've had ones that have had long term positive effects like Edge, you've had ones where you've had monstrous pops on the night like Dolph Ziggler when he cashed in the night after Wrestlemania in 2013 but that didn't have any long term benefits for him really The problem with Dolph was he suffered a concussion like a month later though Aye, but with Seth And that that derailed him completely uh Uh-huh we, we suppose it's one of those ones we might never know how that would have panned out. But with Seth, because he was, he was, he was, he uh-huh. was ridiculous over Dolph Ziggler. 
but the whole like Seth's immediate massive massive pop coupling that with the long term success of his booking at the time I remember not enjoying it too much with him being a cowardly sort of shit heel but looking back with hindsight I can understand he's the authorities not the whipping boy but he was doing the dirty work for the authority making sure that they kept in power all that time so it made sense that he would be a, a sort of shite bag for a lot of the time and we've talked at length previously about his journey from being injured to coming back to being betrayed by Triple H his and the whole carry on with Dean their massive feud their reunion their possible feuds in the future we don't know what's going to happen there see when you think about it can you tell me of a bit of a wrestler who has been better handled over what, what's that now that's four, nearly four years have you named, can you name a better wrestler who's been booked sol- more solidly over four years than Seth Rollins Roman Reigns oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ <laughs> um, hmm. I suppose maybe the one that springs to mind would you'd obviously would say Brock because it ties in with the gimmick him destroying everyone etc but maybe maybe AJ as well AJ's been quite well booked I know four years ago I know, I know. But AJ's is, is what? Three three years, isn't it? Three years. Two and a bit. But he's been, so, he's been the victim of some dodgy booking. I mean, look at this whole Nakamura stuff just now. I know, the, but I think I think what people, as much as we're, we're in love with Seth Rollins at the moment, people seem to forget that from basically the time where KO became Universal Champ all the way up until even post-WrestleMania match with Triple H last year, a lot of people weren't buying into the whole babyface thing. I took it. You know, so and, um, and it does take it does take a long time. It's not going to happen overnight, but we just need to remember that that a lot of people just were like, "No, we don't like this. We don't want uh, a babyface Seth. We want him as a heel, etc." Um, but no, I do agree. I think overall, overall, he's been booked very well. Um, so yeah, I can't I can't really present any sort of like proper argument with that statement whatsoever I think for me Seth cashing in led to a lot of a lot of real great moments and I know you say as you look back on his title reign and sorry at the time you weren't that enamoured with it because he was portrayed as like a a chicken shit heel but when you look back on it like you realise just how great it was, and I've 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 said to you off air, like whether we text one another, that it is probably next to CM Punk my most favourite title reign. I mean, um, there was there were some glaring things in that title reign. I thought the cage match with Randy Orton was pretty dire. I thought was... I think remember he had those two matches back to back with Sting and Cena as well, and say what you want about the whole Sting thing, but it was still like a. a a momentous occasion was it a SummerSlam wasn't it no the Sting one was at Night of Champions and right we, the whole thing with Sting that was a freak accident we've never, exactly. we'd never know what would have happened in that match exactly um, and then obviously the stuff pre-cash-in and post-cash-in with Dean Ambrose I think the post-cash-in stuff might have been my favourite out of the two of them if I'm honest really um, I, I don't know I don't know I think there was a couple of moments in that post 
when post cash in when he was a champ that I I just absolutely loved and we might touch on it another time or later on or whatever. But and then comes back, um, and attacks Roman Reigns, and he comes back to an absolute unbelievable pop as well. I was quite shocked with that one, I must say. So was I. So was I, because I I don't because I didn't. I wasn't aware that it was going to happen, which was even better. And and the thing, and a good thing about that was, it, it, at the time you might have had an idea something was going to happen because it didn't. It was a good couple of minutes after the match. Roman was still trying to get up, and he still hadn't panned away. Roman still really hadn't posed because he just got up and and raised his arms. At which point, Seth comes in and attacks him. So post, what I say is that that title run that he had for me was excellent I've really enjoyed the stuff we've done with Cena as well um, the stuff we've done with Ambrose that was it was it an, elim- an elimination chamber sort of house show live event that they had uh-huh. and they did the dusty finish unbelievable match unbelievable the same night as KO John Cena wasn't it and that, I mean see for that being a, a quote unquote network special mm-hmm. that was some pay per view apart from the fact that Ryback won the IC title well, let's just ignore that right um, but even like even from from him holding the title, we got like even just small things. It's not at the time it might have seemed small, but you look back on it, and we got J and J security. Oh, and that was excellent. And Did you even know, sorry, sorry to just go off on a really random tangent, but I thoroughly enjoyed this week on Raw when Jamie Noble helped Seth Rollins backstage. <laughs> That's it. Seth Seth has left him hanging uh, high and dry in several cases, but Jamie Noble still has. Seth's back is noble by name, like noble by nature. <laughs> <laughs> also, we got uh, Undertaker Lesnar, like as a, a spin-off, and thanks to Seth Rollins' reign, because obviously he had the Seth and uh, Brock match, and Undertaker coming down interfering as well. I'm not saying that's like great or anything, but I kind of enjoyed um, those matches. Um, so, yeah, like I say, the way he was booked in that entire title run, I thought was quite good. I think for the last three, four years, he's been booked very, very well. And now, he's arguably the hottest name. I mean, I wouldn't even say... I think it's the whole of WWE he's the hottest name in at the moment. I mean, that probably helps that when you've got a lot of bad, let's be honest, quite a lot of bad booking going on for some of the favourites in the company at the moment. Seth is just going from strength to strength. Some of that's off his own back, but obviously the creative have got a lot going for him just now. It helps that he has the popular IC title challenge. He's been brought in to soak up the booze that Roman Reigns has been getting with helping against Jinder. Sorry, I'm just being a wee bit cynical there. But he's... He's definitely the sort of the sort of fucking the man in WWE at the moment. You've got a lot of shit going on with New Japan, really intense stuff for Jericho, Naito, Omega, Okada. But in terms of the Western Hemisphere, Seth Rollins is the guy right now. He is the guy. And now that you just mentioned Okada and Omega, etc., we are just mere days away from that. So looking forward to that. Oh, there's a lot of wrestling coming up. I know a, a lot, a lot. Money in the bank in a couple of weeks' time. But overall, opinion on that title running and everything that's happened since, I've enjoyed it. 
I've really, really enjoyed it. I think he's been booked quite well. Uh, Triple H turning on him as well was was good to see. And now, obviously, now with the IC title for like probably the last what nine months or so, he's just been on fire. Aye, he's the. He said it himself. It's the Raw Monday Night Raw is all about him, and he holds the the Raw title at the moment. Because mm-hmm. the Universal title is absent, as far as I'm concerned, it's non-existent. So until then, Rollins is the champion champion of Raw. Um, and during all that, for the sort of last pick, we've went for the sort of shock night where Dean Ambrose won the title when he defeated. Like, do you know that kind of? That's a historical night on its own when Dean Ambrose won the title because on the one night you had Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins all members of the the Shield champion within like 5-10 minutes of each other. Mm. So even without... They all, they all held the title at some point that night. Aye, that's just crazy. Um, mm. It was a massive... It may Some would argue that it was probably two or three months too late especially with Dean Ambrose's being one of the last two in the 2016 Royal Rumble because there was a definite what if oh my god like you could almost hear the crowd stamping their feet gearing up for Dean Ambrose winning at the Rumble uh, so maybe it could, maybe it was too late but I still think that's a very pivotal one because it it finished it finished the building blocks for having the Shield be the three like top guys in WWE right now AJ Styles is there okay Braun Strowman's your Big face, but the shields—they're the—they're your. I would say they're the Austin Rock Triple H of today. Mm-hmm. I mean that's high praise, but I know what you're saying with that. You're not so much comparing the popularity and what they mean to the business, but I, I know what you're saying with that. Um, but, but looking back on it, like it's just a case of it finally happened. Sort of thing. Like, oh, they've finally done it. There was a quiet calm about me when Dean Ambrose won. I wasn't jumping out of my seat. I just sat there and thought, finally. No, I, I, I wasn't. Um, I was. <laughs> on, I, but I think more than anything, it was finally we get to see Ambrose with the title. But I think part of me was also like, oh my goodness, we might finally get a Shield triple threat, and we did get it the next month. Mm-hmm. Um. Just a few quick things. Obviously, I thought the cash in itself was quite good as well. Uh, it, it had a little bit of a shock factor, I suppose. Um, and then post, after obviously the cash in, we, had, we got the chill triple threat. And and then like, allowing him, or having him beat Seth and, and Roman in that match again. That was a big thought about him. It was a big deal, and 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 tonight it's almost been almost been sort of like a theme that we've had going through majority of the cash ins is that at some point before the actual cash in and subsequent push, there seems to have been like a little tease or a preview or a little let's see how the crowd react or how they do uh-huh. before we fully push them, and, and and you got that in a sense with with Ambrose as well when he win, well. Like you said, we spoke about it slightly a minute ago when he had the dusty finish at Elimination Chamber at the live event. He went and then he said, no, no, you haven't won. But then he took a title and just left. Crowd was going bananas. So yeah. was that. So it was almost like, right, well, there you go. There's the evidence that the crowd are behind it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it should have been. It should have gone to that point or anything like that because um, we were so high on Seth, but it was evident that the crowd were ready for it and they were accepting Ambrose and they wanted and they were they were wanting that moment. Came a little bit later than like you say is maybe maybe it came a bit too late. I, I don't think it can ever anything like that can ever come too late, but it came later than you would have wanted it to. I, I enjoyed his feud and little fact. Post um, cashing, uh, he, I think he dropped. He actually dropped the title. Sorry to AJ, but after that, um, he beat John Cena clean on TV, and I think that was John Cena's first ever clean loss on TV for like five six years. Really? Mhm. I, I believe uh, that's true. He had one of the feuds of the year with AJ Styles. Mhm. Mhm. He had a number of... He even got a good feud and a couple of matches out of Baron Corbin as well. He was on a hot streak. I know that there was this awkwardness about him when he initially had the the title. I wasn't a huge fan of the work with Dolph Ziggler. Um, Through some bizarre alignment of the stars, he came across not that great in his podcast interview with Steve Austin on the network. So it seemed like the early start of Ambrose's title run it was sort of mud and is this the right guy but they should have maybe it's just one of those ones where he's better on the chase or as a sort of working mid-card champion because when he held the IC title it was fantastic when he was on the chase versus Ambrose um, sorry Rollins and AJ he's fantastic even with their chasing the tag team titles with Seth as well maybe he's just better suited to that kind of role than he is like the man defending almost like the underdog uh huh an underdog with a chance but I just wanted Mm -hmm. I quickly wanted to test your theory there where they they test the waters with these people before the eventual cash in and the overall long term push so you had Ambrose with the dusty finish chamber the year before Seth he wasn't exactly getting the title but he had the Royal Rumble match with Brock Lesnar and John Cena where he was the star of the show remember classic. that match? absolute classic that, that was the first time I saw a Phoenix Splash and I jumped out my skin <laughs> <laughs> um, what else did we have? We had Edge he, one of my favourite tournaments was the Gold Rush tournament in 2005 where he had that feud going on with Kane and Lita and Punk mm-hmm. Punk was ECW champion, I know that's not as such a high level, but they still tested the waters there. So they've obviously and Daniel Bryan winning the winning the bank briefcase and then the cash in the first time as well versus Big Show and Mark Henry. So they do kind of test the waters beforehand, so maybe they have they do these these experiments, quote unquote, to see, right, is this going to work? Let's gauge the interest, gauge popularity, and then somewhere down the line we'll will genuinely pull the trigger yeah and and like you say I think that moment was Ambrose at the Elimination Chamber because if you cast your mind back the crowd let's say is just they they lost it I think we all did and it was a real 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 good match as well mm-hmm. um, and the, the stuff the IC stuff he had with Miz as well was quite good as well he had that this was I think this was before he cashed in well, before he won the briefcase he had that really good match with Triple H at Roadblock as well leading up to oh, WrestleMania 
And I was a fan of the Jericho feud. Not many people were. Oh, people th- oh I thought, no, I, I enjoyed that. Did you enjoy um, the Asylum match? It's alright. I, I quite enjoyed it. I don't know why, I just <laughs> did. I, I thought it was excellent. And, like, and, and, and folks, you need to remember, like, because of that feud, right, we got that great moment where Chris Jericho and Dean Ambrose went face-to-face at Survivor Series and Chris Jericho was screaming at him that you owe me $4,000. Do you remember when he destroyed one of his scarves? Aye. Do you know something? See, for Survivor Series time, can we do a a podcast where we basically re-watch the main event of Survivor Series 2016? And just live and do a podcast as we're watching it? Uh Uh-huh. That's fine, there'll be a lot of swearing, they're like, oh my god, what's happened to you? Aye, or just laughing at the screaming. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic match, that one. Ridic- ridiculous. Oh, like aye. 55 minutes long or something. What have I said time and time again? Multi-man organised chaos is what WWE does best and that was a prime example that night. Yep, yep. And I think, again, talking about Ambrose's popularity, like a lot of people are clamouring for him and are just almost like counting down the days until he might come back as well. Well, I think it's going to be months, apparently, but... Well, I think it's probably going to be around about SummerSlam time or post-SummerSlam. How's this for a theory? And I will give credit to Mizfan, who's on Lords of Pain Radio and does the forum columns forums as well. He had suggested that this whole thing with Seth f- possibly fighting Jason Jordan when Jordan comes back and Chad Gable comes into the fore and sort of he has a will, he won't he, whose side is he on? And Jordan and Gable decide to team up and take on Seth then Dean comes back comes to his friend's aid again so you've got a tag team feud for a month or two with Seth and Dean versus reformed American Alpha 1.0 and, oh. the, and then Dean turns on Seth um, I, I like it I love it I do I had a, a slightly different way that I, say I presented to you and Rance where I says what if uh, this thing with Drew McIntyre and Dolph with Gable what if we get Jason Jordan coming back to help Gable and then say a couple of weeks maybe a month later or something Jason Jordan attacks Chad Gable and then we have a little mini feud with them too before Jason Jordan and Seth Rollins get into some unfinished business and then after that you could potentially have Ambrose come back Sort of like, oh, congratulating Seth, etc. And then you could potentially have Ambrose just attacking Seth that night. Uh-huh. And his angle could be like, I've been on the shelf for nine months while you've been doing this and that, and not once did you reach out to see how I was doing or whatever, etc., etc. See, either way, Jason Jordan and Dean Ambrose need to come back fucking pronto to revive like, Raw's that, quality. Me, that's two real good feuds straight off the bat for Jason Jordan. I, I know. Get, get involved with. Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler because that could be a good little fun match as well but then Jason Jordan Jeff versus Chad Gable that's forget I don't care about the build up I've said it two time and time again that I want to see a great match and if you get a great build up that just makes it even greater but that match has got like five stars written all over it that's a, a shoot match fan a shoot wrestling match fans wet dream of a match like that's and then and then you can push Jason Jordan into the Seth Rollins food and yeah, like you say, hopefully those two come back sooner rather than later. Aye. 
So that sort of concludes the more pivotal cash-ins that we wanted to talk about. And although some of these didn't happen at Money in the Bank, they did result from cash-ins at Money in the Bank or WrestleMania. And some of the more pivotal moments, like Dean Ambrose cashing in, stuff like that, Punk winning against Cena. Money in the Bank itself has become a, a very storied pay-per-view over the last it's few almost, years. It's almost, or you can make a case, or maybe it is, it's a top five now. Well, that was going to be my question. I know that it might not be officially recognised as such, but would you yourself say that Money in the I Bank would. is the big fifth? I would. I would. I would say it's the biggest out of the rest of them. Uh-huh. I would and, say so. And the, reason I, and the reason I say that is because now with the women's Money in the Bank and the men's, you've got two storylines that could run for 364, 364 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say unofficially. And, and, that's, and it just adds a little excitement to every single time a champion's in the ring or in a match. Yep, So exactly. I definitely think that's the biggest of the rest of them. Good, I agree with you. The Big Fifth coming to yep. you on the network Ju- July the... June the 9th, I don't even know. June the 17th. Ah, well, I was close, wasn't I? <laughs> <laughs> So, shall we finish proceedings with a quiz? Yes. We shall. It's fucking quiz time! With Ricky and Clive and friends! A fucking WWE quiz! So, it's, it's my turn this week. And like I alluded to earlier on, there's one or two questions that we've already we've already hit on so I'm just going to have to say them anyway So, but here we go anyway okay go for it who was the first winner of the Money in the Bank briefcase Adam Copeland baby Edge sorry wrong okay name name all the participants in that match oh right okay Edge Benoit oh yeah mm-hmm. Kane Mhm. Jericho. Mhm. Shelton, Shelton's a little bitch. <laughs> One more. Christian. Correct. Again, we've already answered this one earlier on. Who is the only person to lose the money in the bank? Money in the bank briefcase without ever cashing it in. Mr. <laughs> Kennedy! Right. Kennedy! Name, name the wrestlers who have failed with their cash ins. Okay. John Cena. Mm-hmm. And Damien Sandow. And Baron Corbin. Correct. I didn't think you were going to get the Sandow one, but then we talked about it earlier on as well. This is basically a recap quiz, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. It's to this, see... question we've, this question we've done already. <laughs> um, who has won the Money in the Bank match the most? Oh. Um, is it CM Punk? Yes. Okay. So I, speci- I specifically say like, Ma- the match itself yes. because Edge didn't win that, did he? Right. Most appearances in a Money in the Bank match. 
Oh, that's a hard one. One, two. Buckle my shoe. Three, four. I'm at your door. <laughs> Five, six. I can't remember what the rest of the. Better than your earbox. Uh, I was thinking of Freddy Krueger. So was I. I can't remember how it goes now. Well, I'm sure Freddy Krueger didn't give one flying fuck if you ate your Weetabix or not. Uh, I know, I know. He'd probably hope you didn't. It'd be easier for me to catch you. (laughs) (laughs) Freddy Krueger. Clap, clap, clap. (laughs) We're off on a slight tangent here. Obviously, Freddy Krueger's finishing move would be the mandible claw. (laughs) Rips out your Adam's apple. <laughs> your Joey's apple. Right. <laughs> what was the question shout, again? Shout, shout out to Joey Tribbiani. <laughs> um, most appearances in the Money in the Bank match. I'm going to go for a random one and say Christian. Kane and Dolph. Kane and Dolph. Kane, of course. Okay. RVD won Money in the Bank at WrestleMania. 22. Correct I believe answer. It was tw- I believe it. But who did they face in a contract versus title match? I think it was like a couple of weeks later or like a month later. A contract versus title match? Yep. Winner takes all. Oh. This man has already been mentioned during this podcast. <laughs> Is it Freddy Krueger? Yep, it was. Oh, fuck. 2006... So, I'm guessing it must have been someone that was in that ladder match. The second one. Perhaps. No clue. No clue whatsoever. Would you like a clue? Yes, please. You've mentioned them in the quiz. In one of your answers. Um. Please don't say Freddy Krueger again. <laughs> I don't know. Edge? Shelton Benjamin. Okay. I think he was a Intercontinental title uh, champ at the time. Okie doke. Out of these five, who has never appeared in a Money in a Bank match? Ric Flair? Batista? Roman? Drew McIntyre? Or the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. It's either Batista or Mark Henry. And I'm going to go with Batista. Correct. Okay, doc. So this is question number 10. Who has had the shortest time with the money in the bank briefcase before cashing in? The shortest. Now you were talking... I would have to, I know it's one of two, and I would mm-hmm. probably have to look up timestamps for matches and when they were on in a pay-per-view to get this one correct. But since it's 5 to 11 p.m. GMT, I'm going to just go with Kane. Correct. So, I added this last question because I wasn't sure if I was going to replace it with someone, one, one, but I'm just going to 
I'm just going to ask you. From tell me, name the top five shortest reigns with the briefcase before they cashed it in. Top five. Oh. So you can go whatever you. We can go shortest to long, uh, longest or the longest or shortest, whatever which way you, where you want. Right. I'll just. Can I just go in any order? But, yeah. But no. name the top five. Yep, that's fine. I mean, sure. <laughs> but I actually wanted. I wanted an order, but okay. <laughs> okay, in order, right, Kane. Okay. Dean. Yep. CM Punk's first one. Seamus and oh wait no Kane Dean RVD CM Punk's first one and Seamus wait what, what Seamus one are you talking about Seamus 515 said I just broke kicked your ass when he cashed in against Roman remember Right, right, obviously that's not the right answer. I know, but I'm trying... How long did he hold that for? He held it till Survivor Series. No, right, well, that's wrong anyway. <laughs> I know that. Right, so... It goes Orton. I believe... I, I'm hoping this is right now. Randy Orton, Orton held it for 35 days. Fuck, that's right. John Cena was 8 days. Uh, he made an asset. Yep. Jack Swagger was two days. He went in 2010 at WrestleMania. I think it was WrestleMania. And then cashed in two days later at SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Ambrose, for apparently 53 minutes. And then Kane at 47. So I only got two out of the five, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, so I, I've just asked... Um, do you know what? Bonus question now. <laughs> I've just thought of it right now. At which event... Did each of these cash-ins take place? Right, the first two were Money in the Bank. Seen as... Ambrose. Ambrose and... Kane. Kane. You said Cena? No, it's like, what what, what event was it where they cashed in? Where they cashed in the briefcase? Cena's wasn't Money in the Bank. I know that. You said Cena cashed in two days later? No, it was uh, Jack Swagger cashed in two days later. So he cashed in on SmackDown? Yep. Cena cashed in on our... Tried to cash in on Raw? Which Raw? Oh, I I don't know if it's fucking... Rally North Carolina Raw? I don't know. No, no, it was was a set... It was a landmark Raw. What year was it? The thousandth. Yes. And Orton was at SummerSlam as we discussed earlier. Half of these questions just was just like a recap of the podcast. Yeah, it was basically a a homework assignment. Have you listened really to was. this podcast tonight? Yep. <laughs> these things happen. Well, I did not too bad. A high percent overall, I think, but uh, thank you. No, you done well. I think you only got too wrong anyway mm-hmm. I got them you wrong the, in, I got them sorry? wrong I got them wrong in spectacular fashion mind you well you say oh you did you did I don't know where you get the Seamus one from I don't know if you were thinking like the time I don't know what you were thinking of. I just forgot that 
Jack Swagger existed. <laughs> it's unfortunate because he he was a pretty damn good wrestler. I thought. I know, and you loved his music as well. Oh my god, his music was. I'm not even American, right? Obviously, but it was so patriotic, and it just makes you want to stand up and put your hand over your chest. <laughs> I absolutely loved. I loved his entrance music. Ah, uh, it was good. It sounded like if the, if the A team had another entrance, if A team had different theme music, it would be that. <laughs> not the, not to be confused with the B team. No, the, oh, they're awesome. They, well, they did have an awesome person, so technically they are. Right before we tangent the fuck out of this, ladies and gentlemen, um, final call. Final plea to fill in the NXT survey. <laughs> what, what are you laughing at? Your final plea. <laughs> please. No, it's not even a please. We've d- done really well with the result, um, the responses so far. But if you look at the show notes of this podcast on your app, there are there's a link for the NXT survey. We're doing a very special episode next week where we will, in anticipation of the upcoming 20th takeover in Chicago on the 16th of June, we're going to look at. NXT TakeOver's history like, yeah, we'll be discussing best TakeOver events, best matches best wrestlers, best champs best theme musics so I'm looking forward to go over that one it's going to be a bastard compiling those results but I'm willing to do it for you guys um, with regards to the podcast network itself, that's the Social Suplex Podcast Network, please rate and review five stars please thank you uh, <laughs> <laughs> The network has Keeping It Strong Style with Josh and Jeremy. You've got One Nation Radio and One Nation Live with Rich. Grown Men Watch This Shit with Chris and another Jeremy. But it's James Vanderbeek, I believe. They're the indie podcast. And last but certainly not least, Outsider's Edge with Rance and Carl. Um, we have lots of columns on the socialsuplex.com website. Check them out. NXT 205 reviews. And Check out the Squared Circle Facebook group on that Facebook app. <laughs> Facebook. I tell you, man, I need to record this plug again. I never get it. Maybe you should just let me do it, because I thought I nailed it last time. Okay, right, well... <laughs> just get the Social Suplex Podcast Network over, ladies and gents. I did cover everything there, didn't I? In a really bad yes. way. We are at Ricky and Clive on Twitter. Ricky, do you have anything to say to salvage this monstrously bad outro? No, not at all. Just um, appreciate the downloads. Yeah, thanks again um, for the downloads. Appreciate the love. Um, obviously, viewers were pro- may well have been expected to hear Rant on the podcast tonight because he's on every week, but funds are low at the moment. We can't pay the man. Yeah, his, his commissions went way high. The, e- the ego is getting out of control. That's some harsh words. No, nah, I'm joking. He knows it's all love. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's all. Just um, appreciate everyone downloading and just please keep listening. Keep listening. Share it on your social media outlets. Tell your friends and tell your parents to listen. Thank you and good night. Take care, folks. Thank you for listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you next time.